Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Due to the unprecedented times we're living in, courtesy COVID-19, we are recording our conversations remotely. So you might notice a difference in audio quality. What remains the same, however, is getting to know yet another passionate, accomplished, creative woman. So here's the deal with Gira Goldstein, my guest today. She has one hell of a bio, and I can't help but wonder if she manages to find time to exhale. Gira is an inclusion and diversity consultant, a nationally recognized expert on issues pertaining to the LGBTQ community. And to that end, she works tirelessly to focus and highlight the importance of creating dialogue when it comes to race, gender, ethnicity, age, equity, acceptance, and understanding. Gira draws on the personal. She's a transgender mother of two sons who transitioned later in life and is still married to her wife of many years. Her work involves training within businesses, organizations, government agencies, schools, law enforcement. She's been featured all over in the national media, ABC, CBS, NBC, the New York Times, Rolling Stone, Chicago Tribune, and is a frequent speaker at professional conferences, universities, and schools. She's also the co-founder of the Gender Cool Project, a national storytelling campaign that features successful and talented young people who identify as transgender. As a community activist, Gira's trained more than 2,000 volunteers through Chicago's Center on Halstead, the largest LGBTQ center in the Midwest. Well, that's going to have to do for now, because we're going to meet and get to know Gira Goldstein. So welcome, and thanks so much for joining me remotely today. Of course. Thank you for offering this space to have this conversation. I appreciate it. And thanks for that intro. Yeah, I, I, I hear that sometimes and go, oh, you know what, I should probably make some changes. That was a long time ago, but it's, it's still accurate. Thank you. What goes through your head when I do the introduction and I rattle off what you've done in your lives and what you probably will continue to do? What do you think about that? You know, I look at it and when I hear it back, I hear it as experience and those experiences also are tied into opportunities. So, you know, as an inclusion consultant, many times I look at or hear that list as privilege and try to use that privilege, you know, and continue to help people come to an awareness of, of what that looks like. You know, it's not the super talent somehow that put me in those positions. It's really more about, you know, the idea that I've had opportunities in my life that were afforded to me for no reasons, you know, that I directly contributed to outside of, you know, being in the right place at the right time. And then ultimately, Sandy, I think it has to do with those that did the work before me. So, you know, it's not groundbreaking, the stuff that I'm doing. I mean, I do bring my my full self to work and talk about my personal experiences. But ultimately, um, you know, I can only do the work I do because of those that did it before me. Well, let me just make one thing clear. <laughs> I'm not deifying you, but I'm telling you, I'm pretty freaking impressed by what you do. <laughs> Where did it come about being an inclusion and diversity consultant? When you were growing up or when you were thinking about going to college, what did you have in your mind's eye as, I want to be a teacher, I want to be a psychologist, you know, I want to be an actress. How did, how did that work for you growing up? That's a great question. It's somewhat complicated, although I think my experience is similar to many people who are transgender or non-binary. In my youth and growing up, I, I struggled with my gender identity. The idea that I was transgender came at a very early age. So I knew that somehow I had a female brain and a male body. I mean, that was my experience. And I I had unique experiences, I think is the best way to explain it throughout the course of my life. But I did not really ever intend to be, I guess, what I call now a storyteller. I did not 
pursue it outside of, you know, studying some communication in college, but I didn't think I would ever be in the public speaker realm. And the way that it happened was for the LGBTQ community, you know, the one thing that we all share is the coming out experience, right? Um, And maybe people even outside of the LGBTQ you know, community, if you've ever held something privately and then finally disclosed it to someone in your life, you might know what that's like. There's pressure behind that experience. And before I came out to my wife and my family and the world, I actually thought that it might be better if I took my experience and feelings to my grave. Like maybe it'd be better if I just didn't say anything or not transition and not go through the really difficult lift of what that truly entails. However, I learned that through communicating with others my story about how I came to this point and why this is important and what it means. I learned that all of the people I feared I would lose, I did not. And I know that's not an experience most or many people in the LGBTQ community have, but I did not lose anyone. I did not lose my friends, my neighbors, my coworkers. And in doing so, I started to question why that is. Uh Why is it that the people around me were able to accept my experience And I think it came down to the way I was able to share it with them. And so that led to me continuing to share. And I guess I'll just leave it at this. Well, you know, I have interviewed a couple of transgender women. And I'm thinking of one in particular who is currently a mezzo-soprano in San Francisco. Boy, did I fall in love with her. What a class act this woman is. And her experience was vicious and violent and as you listen to her story, you felt your heart just breaking. And how wonderful to be able to know that there is a contrast for that. And there was for you. Yeah, that's beautifully said. You know, I think that's part of my experience as, you know, I started talking about privilege. And that is kind of my own life lesson, right? That I learned what I believe to be important is helping to bring a balanced narrative as, you know, there's so much trauma in the LGBTQ community and I I understand it. I appreciate it. I have very dear friends that have experienced it and I didn't. And for whatever reasons, the experiences of triumph and positivity were not being shared in equal parts. So what I was experiencing was even in sharing my own story, I could tell people were sitting on the edge of their chair waiting for the train wreck, right? Where's the, oh my gosh, and then what happened? Right. And that's an experience, you know, that that is so very familiar to me, although it's not my own. And I bump into it all the time. People will say to me, oh, you're married, you know, your wife, she stayed with you. And, you know, that's a positive intent question. But at the same time, it's an example of how society perceives the fact that for some reason, she's the one who's making those choices of whether or not to stay with me. And many times I'll say to people, well, actually, I stayed with her, you know, just to just to take them off their game a little bit, because why is it that people who identify transgender, non-binary, for instance, are the people that are broken, right? Are the people that others would question, well, how could someone stay with someone that's, you know? So again, that's part of that hoping to change the narrative aspect of the work I do. Can I ask you a personal question? Of course. (laughs) How old are you? 52. So when you go back in time, and you think about where you were in our society, because this is still very difficult for people to accept, unfortunately, even in 2020, you must have been or felt like an anomaly. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in a time where there was no internet, so no Google, no 
word transgender, really. There was no way to self-identify except for knowing that, yeah, exactly like you're saying, Sandy, I felt like I was the only one. Or, you know, when I did see representations of people who might be somehow transgender it was always a very negative representation, right? That person was, you know, either, you know, a serial killer or, you know, drug abuser or some aspect like that. And I knew that wasn't me. There were no role models. So compare it to where we are today, even though I know we've made great strides, we still have much more of that mountain to climb. Yes and no, right? So the work I do brings me to Fortune 100, Fortune 500 companies, and I'm always amazed. Like here I am being paid, right? So the idea that for so many years of my life, I simply wanted to say I'm transgender. I simply wanted to say I'm female, and I couldn't do that. And now I'm being paid basically to say I'm female and help people go through that experience of of what that, what that means. Although I don't talk that much about myself, it's, you know, how far we've come. And I think it has again to do with helping change how we talk about gender. You know, honestly, I'm, I'm one of those people that understands deeply the fact that, you know, Prior to my transition, I was under all of the same mental restrictions that would make it difficult for me to accept the transgender experience. And I am transgender. So, you know, it's not like I transitioned and said, okay, now everybody else get on board. Because that struggle internally is going to be with me forever. I understand it, you know, intensely. And so I talk about the fact that for me, you know, people want to understand. And as a person who is transgender, I can say, I don't understand. At least the question that people are asking, which is, how do you know who you are? And I don't believe anybody can honestly answer that question. We're all constantly evolving. And and what does that question even mean? You know, for the LGBTQ community, we've kind of taken the bait, right? We're like, well, we know because we know, right? Like, we're going to try and answer that question. And what I tell people is that I believe that LGBTQ people may not know who we are, but we certainly know who we are not. And that, to me, is what sort of glues us together. And in the experience of understanding, Sandy, for me, I tell people really everywhere I work that acceptance does not require understanding. Right? Huh. Acceptance comes from love or empathy, but you don't have to understand something in order to accept it. And you don't have to judge it either, do you? No, you absolutely don't. You know, and for whatever analogies I would choose to use in a day, right? Like we all accept that, you know, a pilot knows how to fly the plane and we might not understand all of the dynamics and aerodynamic principles involved with how my plane gets me from New York to LA, but we accept the fact that it will. And, you know, it's that same idea when we approach something like gender identity. However, everyone has a gender identity, The issue here is that we don't know how to talk about it. We have never had conversations about gender identity, and that's okay. You know, that's that's the conversation space we need to create. And being aware of it is the important aspect here. So an example would be, Sandy, if you and I were having coffee one day, and you looked at me and said, you know, Gara, I just want you to know that when I was born, I was assigned female at birth. They said, it's a girl. And I've always felt female and I've lived my life as a woman and I'm really confident and content in that aspect of my experience. And I'm just going to ride that out. I just wanted you to know. Now, I don't think you have ever had that conversation with anyone, nor would you have that conversation because gender identity is innate. You don't question it. 
And so you haven't had conversations about it. And in the same way, at what point is it the way that I'm supposed to say to you, you know, Sandy, over some coffee, I just want you to know that when I was born, I was assigned a male at birth, but I never felt male. I knew that I was always female. And at some point, it became impossible for me to live my life as a male. And that's why you see the person you see in front of you now, right? And that is the same conversation that you just tried to have with me. But even then, to me, that conversation sounds difficult to engage in. How do you respond to someone sharing that information with you? And that's the work I do. So on some level, this must not come as a surprise to you, or does it, that you married the personal with the professional? No, you know, not really as a surprise. It was sort of organic. And in the same way that I feel organic in the sense that I'm speaking to you, you know, it's one step after another. I just take the opportunities as they come. And yeah, I, I don't see it as a surprise. I see it really as a gift. Um, you know, I think that many people like myself that have this experience, I, growing up, you know, I will tell people about, I used to have a birthday, you know, every year with the candles and you make a wish. And I only always had one wish, which was to be able to be myself. And that was from a very young age. And I would blow out the candles and it seemed to never come. And now I live my life in a sense, knowing that my wish came true. My one wish came true. And I don't know how to really process that in the sense of, you know, now that that wish has has been granted, what do I do with that, right? What do I do with the experience I had? And um, that's why I share my story. That's why I continue to stay in this space and try to help others come to an acceptance that I struggled myself with for so many years. How, as an inclusion and diversity consultant, do you do that? It really has to do with authenticity and integrity as I'm talking and sharing my personal story. So, you know, it's not so much about the actual events step by step. It's more about the perceptions that I had and why I had them. So I use analogy very often, and I think that's a common experience for people in the LGBTQ community. You know, when people ask me, questions about gender, I think what they're trying or asking me really is, what is it like? Like, what does it feel like? Not what is it, right? We're trying to get to the, you know, people are asking me, how did you know? How does it manifest? How, how you know, how does it feel? And in many ways, I say, you know, it, it feels like it did for you. You just have an innate sense of knowing yourself as in regards to your gender. And that's what my experience was. It just was I was in the wrong gender, really. And from the experience of what it felt like, the analogy I use is hunger. You know, if I say to you, Sandy, I'm hungry, you pretty much accept my experience, whatever that is for me. It might be like grumbling in my tummy or, you know, I might be um, a little jittery or tired because I need to eat. But the experience of being hungry is a human experience we all share. So you accept my idea of being hungry very simply, even though it's quite complex for each person. But what I also understand is that Hunger was and is a biologic trigger of your body telling you that you need nourishment. And over your lifetime, you were taught and still learn about what that feeling means to you. You know, as a very young child or even as a baby, you cried because you were hungry. You didn't understand the dynamics. You know, your parents fed you with a bottle and you were satisfied. And over time, you started to learn that those feelings internally were hunger. Right. And as a child, you might be out playing in the summertime and your parents yell, it's time for dinner. 
and you don't want to come inside, but they know you need to eat. You haven't eaten since lunch, but you don't feel hungry. You feel like you want to keep playing, but eventually you go inside and you eat and you realize, wow, you really were hungry. And then you'd have no desire to go back outside and play because you're content. But even now, right, Sandy, I'll bet there are times when you say, I can't believe I ate all of that food, right? Or I can't believe how hungry I was. So you're still learning about your body and hunger throughout your lifetime. And here's the deal. When I was growing up, I had these feelings regarding my gender identity. And my family gently repositioned my thinking. They gently said things to me like, no, you know what? Maybe you want to play with this toy. Maybe this is what you want to do. And they guided me towards what they believed to be the right way for me to express myself out of love. Um, You know, it wasn't malicious in any way, but it just wasn't me. And of course, I wanted to make people happy. But the reality of my situation was that just like hunger and people telling you, I didn't have anyone to say to me, you know, Gara, those feelings that you have, those experiences that you keep showing us, maybe it's because you're transgender. And to validate you, to validate who you are. Right. No one knew at the time how to do that, including myself. There was no space or mechanisms to start talking about gender identity. And so, you know, the days just went on and I, you know, I I pushed through what was, you know, and still is part of my life. I don't regret a single moment of my life before transition. You know, if anything, that life afforded me the ability in so many aspects to actually be the person I am now. So I look back and I'm just simply grateful, but I still think that, you know, I want to provide for young people today the opportunity to see themselves in the future, the opportunities that I didn't have with role models and platforms to share their stories and their feelings about who they are. You know, when you phrase it using the analogy of hunger, but when somebody listens to that and it's just, yeah, man. Where do the judgments come in? Why do the judgments come in? But when it, it's looked at it through that lens, you know, what is it to you? I know we all have prejudices, and, and lots of times a lot of what we feel comes from ignorance. But you make it seem so simple. Yeah, I think it is simple. You know, the complexities, like you're saying, the, the biases that come into play, you know, conscious and unconscious, you know, that is the the playing field for me, right? Trying to actually talk about how these things happen. And, you know, I approach every conversation to try and meet someone exactly where they are. And for whatever reasons they might hold biases or prejudices, to me, it's irrelevant. You know, my life is not a debate. I simply won't debate someone about the validity of my life experience. It just is my experience. And I can try and share that whether or not, you know, someone comes to expect or accept that, you know, my experience is real. Well, I'm standing there or I'm, you know, across a camera from them and the work is always the same. It's I'm here, so therefore I exist. And whatever biases you might have, let's let's talk about them. Where do they come from? How does that work in the sense that you could deny my experience? Because that's all I'm talking about, right? I'm I'm talking about you have an opinion and I have an experience. And which one is more valid? Your opinion, which is simply based on feelings or my experience, which is lived and based on my everyday life interactions. And so when people talk to me in that sense where they're, you know, trying to debate or some aspect of of my experience to them is just something they will not accept, I think that's fine with me. I, you know, to me, again, it's, it's the same thing I'm asking of them. You know, if you don't accept, that's completely okay. And it doesn't truly affect my life. The only time it does is when your opinions are used in a manner to restrict my experiences. And then 
we start to run into trouble, right? That's when, you know, laws are passed and, you know, privileges are, are removed and, and rights are violated. And, and those are, you know, issues and situations that are just simply unacceptable. While you may be encouraged by the acceptance and the reception that you may have in your work, there's a statistic that I literally just read yesterday in the New York Times. It was a story about, it takes out of Missouri, two Kansas City officers are accused of attack on a transgender woman. And um, I'm just going to read this one line. She was at least the 22nd known transgender or gender nonconforming person to be killed in 2019 the majority of whom were black transgender women, according to the human rights campaign. (laughs) So how far have we come or not at all? I don't know. What goes through your mind when I read something like that? Privilege. It's, it's all about privilege and it is absolutely devastating that even in the way that you and I are communicating about the number of women, but each one of those people had a family, had a life, had friends, had experiences, and they have equal value. But in this society, because of privilege, that value is diminished in a way that some people believe that they deserve more than others. And the reality for Black trans women is tragic in so many ways because it's multi-layered regarding the marginalization of people. So a black person in this country, you think Sandy, you and I can agree that they have less privilege. It is much harder to accomplish almost every aspect of what we take for granted, right? And that's a similar conversation to gender identity. But the reality is that racism in this country is to me the most problematic issue that we face as a nation. I mean, that is a space that I touch on in the work I do. However, it's not my life experience. Right. It's, it's for me to say, yes, you know, let's all identify our privileges. But if anything, we need to make space for those voices to come forward and share their experiences and help in any way we can, including talking about it in this conversation. But at the same time, recognizing that it's not because they're trans women. It's not because they are black. It's because they are black trans women. And the multi-layered aspect of intersectional trauma and a disassociation by law enforcement and others that would judge someone's life experience you know what is it to you that this person lives who they are right well when you're talking about this and I think of Brianna Sinclair the opera singer who I interviewed and who I absolutely fell in love with and where you had a sense of safety within your family growing up she was so marginalized and it got violent it was so hard for her family to accept this I feel so blessed to have met her in terms of her empowerment. And I'm guessing that that must be a wonderful feeling for you too, to be able to to share and overcome and know that you're having an impact on other people's lives. I hope so. You know, for me, it's, you know, not the obstacles we overcome, but how we overcome them. And when I hear stories like you're saying of people that have come through such tremendous trauma, whether it be about gender identity or any other aspect of living who they are, living in their truth, to me, it's it's devastating. It's heartbreaking and it's everywhere in my community. And I approach it in a sense that someone has to be sharing an alternate experience in order to do the work that I do. And I know that that violence, where it comes from against our community, comes from a place of fear and, you know, ignorance and not meaning stupidity, but, you know, lack of knowledge. And from that aspect of, 
you know, well, what am I trying to do? And I think of, uh, of her as a young child trying to become who she is and, and, and experience the violence in her house. And in many ways, the way that I can sleep at night is knowing that maybe I am talking to the future parents of a child like her. The future parents who are under all of the same societal fears that would create a scenario where you could hate your own child or traumatize your own child because it's coming from this really warped sense of you can't possibly be that person because we've been so demonized that your own family could turn on you because they believe you to be that demon that's been created. And, you know, those are the people that I most want to get to the people that, you know, are the most difficult to approach. The work that I do is not inside the LGBTQ community. It's outside the community, right? The people that I really want to spend my time talking to are the people that say, yeah, Gara, but, you know, I'm sorry. I just, I can't, nope, you know, and let's have And will always mean that they don't want to hear from you. They do and they don't, you know, very rarely do I have someone just turn around and walk away, right? Most of the time they have a perspective that requires them to reinforce their belief by engaging me. I'm not sure what brings people to do that, but, you know, to me, that's, that's the work, right? Those are the people that I actually want to turn into allies because they're going to help, you know, on the other side, say, you know, I didn't really know anything about this. I had all kinds of bias. And then I met this person, Gera, and, you know, now that, that I've had this experience, I have been able to replace those opinions that I've had with the actual experience of talking to someone who has a different perspective. And, you know, I think people can appreciate that. And I know hundreds of people who have come into the workspaces that I'm in and they come up to me afterwards and they say to me those things, you know, I, I had no idea. I didn't really understand. Now I get it, you know, and, and that's what it's really about is allowing people to have an acceptance of, of what's going on around them. Are you buoyed by the potency of your work? People reaching out to you, organizations, as I mentioned, schools, businesses, government agencies. Has that filled your heart? Yeah, it does. You know, it's really more about when I'm done with the work for each individual place. It's not so much when, you know, I'm there, I look back at it as in in a lens. And again, hearing you say those things, yes, but I'm mostly encouraged by individuals. It doesn't much matter the place that they are in. Everyone has the ability to make an impact regardless of their station in life, where they're at. And of course, you know, I I appreciate reaching people that have the ability to have a higher impact or more visibility. But to me, um, if there is one person in the room and I help that person come to some understanding or acceptance of, of gender identity in a way that they couldn't engage before, then I feel like I have accomplished something for the day. Because that one person could be that parent of a child who is going to come out tomorrow, right? It, it's just that it only takes one. Right, right. I think that's kind of a nice segue into the Gender Cool Project. So how is this born and why? Yeah, so um, I will try to condense it, the, the elevator pitch. But um, <laughs> Jeff Pool came from an experience I had here in my own community here in Chicago. So I had heard that one of my neighbors who had four kids, that one of their kids was transgender and I didn't know which child it was, but I was familiar with the family. We were not close friends, but I knew who they were. And I sent the mom an email and I'm not sure what propelled me to do that, but you know, gender identity and transgender kids that are my neighbors, I mean, that's close enough to home that it motivated me. So I wrote her, the mom, a letter and I said, 
if you've been on Google and you know you see what's going on in the world, you might have a tremendous amount of fear about your child. But I just want to say that it doesn't have to be that way. That you know, I transitioned. You know who I am. I don't know if you know this about me, but you know, my life is beautiful and there's much love in my home, and I'm sure there is in yours too. And you know, if you ever need resources or have any questions, I'm here for you. I mean, it was just kind of simple like that. And I got back within a few hours a four-page response that said, you know, this is our life experience. This is, you know, our beautiful child. Let's talk. Please come over for coffee. So I did the very next day. And this family, the Gross Handler family, the mom, Jennifer, and the dad, John, and I talked for hours. It was really a wonderful experience. And Jen started telling me about this idea that she had which was born from her own child's experience of identifying transgender and coming out to her. And so what she did and what they did as a family was they started going to conferences and and looked for experts. But in doing so, she kept bumping into young people at these conferences that were like her own child. And they were incredible kids. They were accomplished gymnasts and you know, authors and doing all kinds of really amazing things. And Jen realized that no one was really telling those stories. No one was talking about positivity around young people who are transgender or non-binary. So she had come up with the idea of gender cool as a kind of an awareness campaign and told me about it um, and asked me to be involved. And I was like, yeah, you know, you had me at hello. There's absolutely, yes, 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 I will do this. And at the time, I was already working um, in advocacy, but towards trans adults. And like you're saying, trans women of color, I was trying to, you know, find the best places for my efforts. And what year was this? Oh boy, it was about six years ago. So, you know, one thing led to another and through advocacy, and this is just kind of to to, to back up a little bit, I met a mentor at the time and this person told me, you know, I I was kind of struggling with the adult trans population and how traumatized people were. And he said, you know, let me tell you a quick story. You're standing at the edge of a river And you see someone floating down the river and they're drowning. And of course, you're going to jump in and you're going to save them. But right before you jump in, you notice that there's another person coming down the river. So now you need to make a choice. Which one of those two people are you going to save? And you figure that you might be able to save them both if you grab the first one and the second one might get lucky and float to you. But you got to dive in anyways and you're just about to go and you see a third person in the river. And you realize that now you need to make some tough choices. Someone's not going to make it. Someone is not going to survive. And you do your best. You're right about to jump in again. And right before you do, you look and you notice up on the ridge, there's somebody throwing people in. Oh, God. Okay. Right? So now what do you do? Where do you put your efforts? And that, to me, has truly been the guiding light of the advocacy that I've done ever since that conversation. I work to zoom out and try and see where the issue truly lies. And for me, it starts at a very young age. And so it was not difficult for me to engage, to build the Gender Cool Project and give young people a platform to share their experiences. And we launched on the one-year anniversary of the current administration rescinding guidance for transgender students in this country. And it has been incredible ever since. The reception we received has been really life-changing, not just for me, but for all of who we we call our gender cool champions, these young people. We now have 17 of them where we provide them a platform to speak to Fortune 100 companies all over the world. Wow. And share their stories. And, you know, these corporate companies, um, they've become our partners in this effort and have aligned with us to create you know, pipelines of, um, 
you know, internships and guaranteed employment and support financially for the Gender Cool Project. So it's truly growing at exponential rates because there's such a need for positivity, forward, youth-led, youth-inspired types of movements. And, you know, that's how it, how it grew. So I'm in, you know, again, grateful, here comes that word again, about the opportunities and the privileges that the Gender Cool Project has been afforded. And, and yes, it's a lot of work, but um, it's incredibly rewarding. And how have you gotten your members just by kind of word of mouth? And how is it that they go from Fortune 500 companies to schools, whatever? There are thousands and thousands of young people in this country who are transgender and non-binary. The fact is that they don't truly have a platform. So many times we don't see who they are. We don't share or hear their stories. And the way that we find champions truly is organic, friends of friends, um, that type of thing where, oh, you should meet so-and-so and you should meet this family. And really, you know, there's a guide in, guiding principle. Some of our champions are advocates, but, you know, of course, just simply by the essence of who they are. But by and large, the idea is that, you know, the fact that, they're transgender or non-binary is really the least interesting thing about these young people. And that's how we kind of choose them. It's that, you know, they want to share their passions and their goals. And, you know, being transgender or non-binary isn't a passion or a goal. It just is. And so we're changing the narrative around what makes a person a person? Is it your gender identity? No, that's just a very small part of it. And the best way to learn that is to just simply have the experience of meeting them. So that's how it happens. It happens organically. And we help them, you know, with with public speaking and, you know, how to share their stories. So they don't all come to us as great storytellers. Some are, some aren't. Um, and that's okay. You know, they get can excel in, in really many different ways as they engage with us. Are you optimistic about the future? Do you feel even more empowered? Where is your head and your heart right now? I'm incredibly excited in so many ways to find routes of positivity even through the deep trauma that I know exists in our community. And the one thing that I'm really grateful for is that, that those experiences, those dark experiences are being shared. And optimistically, you know, again, I, it's not lost on me one bit, Sandy, that here I am on a podcast and being no different than standing in front of, you know, one of these large companies. And I'm talking about my own personal experience. Right, and, right. you know, how can I detach that from the optimistic possibilities of the future? You know, we have, and I mean, we, everyone, not just trans gender people, but all people on every side of this conversation have come such a long way that I can only be optimistic. And yes, there are parts of our community that truly need emergency intervention, right? Like we have to help right now. But if I stop doing the work I'm doing and focus on that. It's back to that river analogy I was using. As much as I want to dive in and do that work, there are amazing people that are doing that work right now. So, you know, I just kind of feel like let's all cover our bases and move forward, not just as a community, but, you know, as people. And that's to me where I think, you know, we're, where I think we're at. It must be such a shocking comparison for you, like you said initially in the conversation, of where you were when you were struggling, trying to come to grips with what was going on in your world, and then just taking all of these steps. I felt like my life that I was an observer and not a participant is a way that I kind of explain it. And now I feel like I'm fully participating in my life's 
goals and experiences. And along with your family members who are experiencing that as well? Of course. Oh my gosh. Not only my family, but yeah, my neighbors, you know, everybody that knew me prior to my transition, everybody goes through transition. When someone you know transitions, it's just the way it is, you know, so everybody's had their own you know, lessons to, to learn about what it means exactly. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, the people that know me intimately would say that I, I truly am the same person. I'm just, you know, maybe more connected, more, um, more positive, you know, the more content is the best way to explain it. Who wouldn't want all of those things? It sounds to me, here I go again, with deifying my guess, that you just, you've done it, you've got it, you feel it, you own it. Yeah, I think, you know, it comes from finding the ability, and I say ability because I think everyone has the potential to seek and experience gratitude regardless of where you are in life. And with that comes some other skills right? You can't feel grateful unless you can see your own privilege. And so unpacking that stuff internally and finding your own personal truth, not everyone is aware of it. You know, that that maybe there's something in your life that you just have kept private and has prevented you from being your true self. And it doesn't have to be something like gender identity, which again, I don't think is that big of a deal. It's just, you know, we make it a big deal. And why is that? I I don't really know. I don't have an answer to that question. And to me, it's kind of irrelevant. The experience of transitioning for some people, including myself, is... It's a long process, but in that space of allowing yourself to live in your truth, I think is really to me what life is about. So when you say, you know, that I've, I've accomplished it or, or, or what, you know, maybe, maybe so. And, and that's the work I'm trying to share that everyone has the ability to sit down and find something to be grateful for, even in the midst of tremendous darkness. And there are writers and people through time where you can see those beacons of gratitude and positivity, even in the most adverse, adverse issue, uh, scenarios. And I think everyone has, you know, again, the potential to, to find that peace of mind and and be grateful for one thing, and then it leads to two things. And so, you know, I I appreciate your perspective about about what it what it looks like, and and I think that's what gender identity and gender expression is about. It's just simply being able to be authentically your whole and full self. Well, not for nothing. I just think what you've been saying and who you are is just so freaking empowering. That, that would be one of the biggest words I would take away from this conversation. You empower, you empower me. And I think that that, you've got to keep on keeping on. Oh, and I, I will. And same to you, you know, and the work that you do, you create a platform for people like me to share our experiences so that other people can grow from it. And so when you say, you know, how does it happen? It happens organically, just like the conversation we had. I think that, you know, you're sitting there in your truth and able to ask questions without filtering, right? Like you'll say, you know, politely, can I ask you something personal? That is a great approach, right? That is absolutely how we need to communicate in this world. There shouldn't be any reasons. And again, I understand I'm kind of on on the forefront of a simple or singular conversation around gender identity, but, you know, it seems cliche, but I, I do start out so many times saying, you know, I'm an ask me anything kind of person because I believe that those questions that don't get asked are the questions that become the bias and unconscious biases that prevent us from moving forward together. So, it is. It's ask me anything. And my work is to create a space where people feel comfortable to actually do that. Are you encouraged 
by where we are today as we look towards tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, I, I know that there is this, this pull to talk about what I can easily perceive as darkness in, in, in this time. There's so many people struggling regardless, you know, if we're talking about COVID or, or politically, religiously, racially, there's so many issues. But I think that the human experience has proven that those issues, whether, you know, they're not specific, they are just issues and they'll always be there um, in some sense, unless we have the perception or idea that we can think and behave in a different way. And to me, it is just as simple as that, even though it's so incredibly complex and heavy. But in that same space, we have those choices to make. And Sandy, we all have had really, really bad days. I mean, I've had some really dark days even currently. And I sit and go, gosh, you know, what am I doing should I even be doing this right now? Do people even want to hear this? Does it even matter considering what else is going on? And the answer is, hell yes, right? Like, yes, there is a reason. Yes, there's, you know, positivity in my space, in my world. I have value. I have worth. And that's how it starts, right? To be able to start having those internal conversations about positivity and allowing yourself to gift yourself positivity because unlike negativity i believe positivity takes work it's like flying you know you can't fly unless you flap your wings and negativity is just the default state it's just sitting here on the ground but if you want to fly you have to try and that's it right that's like sort of my mantra i have to know i have to start flapping my wings and really look for positivity, even though it's not easy. So you ask, is in my default state, do I see positivity? Nope. <laughs> in my default state, I see what I think most people see. And that's what we see in the media and, you know, the, the overall zeitgeist of what people talk about. But just a little bit further forward than those conversations are the types of conversations you and I have had today. And so Yes, I'm incredibly optimistic about the future. You know, Gera, you use the word fly as we wind down this conversation. I would switch that verb to soar. And (laughs) I think that that's what you've done. That's what you do. That's what you help others to do. And I feel very honored to have gotten to know you and very grateful at the same time. And I just wish I could just <laughs> bottle you and have, get a dose of Gira when I'm not feeling any of those things. But I really can't thank you enough for sharing your life and your story and your work with us. Yeah, thank you too. And when, when times change a little bit and I, I come out to the East Coast, we can continue this conversation over a cup of coffee. I was just going to say, you extended coffee if you and I were having coffee together. So we'll make that a reality. Absolutely, Sandy. Thank you so much. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein.